0: Hey guys, you're listening to the Tasha Labs podcast, and today we are going to talk about angel investing in Web3. I know this is a topic and a lot of people are interested in, especially given the time we're in right now, right? We're in a bear market and the liquid token market is not doing that well, and the venture market is down as well. So, you know, this may be a time to think about, okay, uh, you don't want to get into venture investing in the top of the bull market, right? Because everything is so expensive. But obviously, that's the same thing is true for the liquid token market as well. But um, at this time, I think uh, it may be an interesting time to start thinking about early stage investing, if that's the kind of thing that you're interested in, even though um, I think the early stage crypto investing is kind of oxymoron because (laughs) there's no late stage for crypto. Everything is early stage, right? But anyway... I digress. <laughs> so um, to help our discussion today, I invited my friend, Paul Pasek, who is the co-founder of Wagami Ventures, that is a um, Web3-focused angel investor syndicate that has been growing very fast to join our discussion. So uh, I'm really excited about today because I'm really looking forward to hearing Paul has to say about you know Web3 landscape the investment process of angel and venture capital investing in web3 and how you should think about portfolio allocation if you are considering going into this kind of early early stage (laughs) in web3 investing okay so let's get started hey paul how are you doing
1: hey tasha good how are you
0: good good thanks for joining me today so uh let's get started right away Give us a little bit background of you personally and uh, how Wagme got started.
1: Yeah, sure, happy to. And thanks again for having me on the podcast. So I have a TradFi background originally, as do many people coming into the space. So um, my first three years out of undergrad, I spent at McKinsey doing management consulting. And then I spent three years before business school uh, working for a private equity fund then went on to Wharton and it was really at Wharton that I started to get more excited and involved in Web3. So, um, you know, I can kind of go into that side of the story. Um, my co-founder for Wagmi and kind of close advisor right now, Graham, he is, you know, somebody who uh, has been very deep down this rabbit hole within crypto for a long time. And he's um, part of Figment, they've done you know a number of interesting things with staking and validation across chains and um you know he gave me and my wife one eth back when it was a hundred bucks as a wedding gift and we've kind of watched that roller coaster go up and down over the past several years uh and then on my side you know uh, funny enough while i was at wharton it wasn't even uh, a wharton colleague or you know somebody in my class but i had made uh good friends with the doorman in my building. And, you know, every morning I would go downstairs and Mike was always, uh, you know, trading on his phone or doing something really, really sharp guy. And, uh, you know, we, we struck up a friendship. And, uh, you know, he would tell me about how his daughter's making digital art. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, she was doing this on an iPad that they had gotten her. And then, you know, fast forward a a few months and uh, she had made some art that was being sold in the metaverse for ETH, you know, in some museum that was being put up. And it's like, wow, Mike, that's, that's really impressive. You know, I've traded ETH on Coinbase and even sent some to a non-custodial wallet, but, um, you know, buying art, that's, that's great. And so then, you know, fast forward another month and he said, you know, Paul, my, uh, my daughter is making this thing called a generative art collection, which this, you know, this is early 2021. And, She's 12 years old, and she had basically put together this collection of uh, long necky ladies, is what it's called. So, Nyla Hayes is the artist. If you know her, you know where the story's going. But uh, Mike said, Hey, I'll send you one. And so I said, You know, great. Do I need to give you a metamask? And, uh, you know, ultimately, I I sent him my address, and uh, he sent me one of his daughter's pieces of art. And sure enough, you know, a few days later, celebrities like MC Hammer and others start tweeting about it and they're incredibly excited about what she's doing. And, you know, fast forward several weeks and they've made millions off of this collection that she's done. And so, uh, you know, Mike promptly quits his job as uh, doorman <laughs> of our building, but we stay in touch. We're, you know, constantly then exchanging ideas for other NFTs to trade and th- that kind of, you know, Helped me catch the bug. I think in late 21, I joined Proof Collective, which was, um, you know, a really interesting cohort led by Kevin Rose of of builders and just hardcore NFT collectors. So after catching the bug, kind of found that like-minded community through his group, and you know, they did some really interesting stuff in uh, early 2022, and then launched Moonbirds, which has kind of gone on to become. Its own thing, but it was really getting to be a part of that token gated community and getting to meet a bunch of other interesting people in the space who were also. investing in other things that you know really got me excited about all the just building that was going on within web three at the venture stage. And so chatting with Graham who had been my roommate in college, you know we had just observed this phenomenon where all of this capital had rushed into the space in 2021 and and even early 2022, where you saw a bunch of traditional venture funds raising record levels from their LPs, their limited partners. And it basically devolved into all of these funds competing for the same high quality deals and trying to justify- Or sometimes
0: high quality deals. I'm sorry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, yes. And that's uh, that's kind of the story of 2022, right? So,
0: yeah. Anytime you have like such such huge surge and rush in of capital, there's definitely going to be massive misallocation. That's just unfortunately always true.
1: That's right. Yeah, and I think you know we can get to I, I think why 2023 is a very healthy year to be looking at this space. But in 2022, what you saw was everyone fighting over the same deals. Uh, really the ratio of capital to exciting projects kind of basically became unsustainable. It reached a too high of a level and you saw that lead to higher valuations. And so, um, you know, taking a step back, we did still see a lot of exciting innovation get built. I mean, that's why so many of us are sticking around during the bear market and just thought, man, it would be really exciting to try and find a differentiated way to get into these projects where. You know, I don't have the kind of resources that Sequoia or some of these larger funds do, but I do have pretty good networking now of other builders within Web3 and I, I know Graham does. And I know other friends in the space would be interested in participating in these kinds of opportunities. And so our whole value proposition at Wagme evolved into you know the strategic network of partners that at first grew organically and now it's it's really snowballed frankly beyond and anything i would have expected last year and kind of just casually getting into this and seeing a real value proposition that could be offered to founders uh you know we pitch this as we're one line on your cap table but underneath that you get a collection of maybe 20 to 30 angel investors who in addition to writing a a 10k check or whatever it might be they're then you know really incentivized to go out hustle make introductions to distribution partners or people that might be good candidates if you're hiring for a specific role Mm -hmm. Uh, as you know i'm sure through just your network uh, there's a lot of serendipitous connections that can be made and so the, the law of large numbers in our network is kind of leading to just a lot of exciting things, both on the, the support side for companies and also on the, the deal sourcing side, which I know we can talk to. But essentially this snowballed way faster than uh, I would have expected. The goal was originally to do a deal a month. <laughs> and at this point, you know, you, you see our memos, we're, we're going with around a deal a week. So I um, don't know how sustainable that will be be in the long run, but there's so much exciting stuff being built right now at valuations that we personally feel much better about. So we're just trying to to keep up in 2023 and bring as as many exciting deals to our network as possible mm-hmm. this year. So.
0: so can you give us some uh, like summary stats in terms of uh, what's the like uh, investor base growth rate right now? And uh, like, what's the frequent, well, the frequency of deal, you already said like about once a week right now, but like uh, how many people are investing like each, each of deals, like what's the check size?
1: Yeah, sure. So I think I'll start by saying that the, the way that we think about it is probably on a deal by deal basis, just given we are spinning up individual SPVs as opposed to, you know, having actively managed capital. So on a deal by deal basis, we average about a 200K check size. Mm-hmm. Now th- that's granted a little skewed because we uh, tend to do smaller deals, but then every now and then there's a really exciting larger deal that we'll get into. So we've done a few as large as a million. We're actually syndicating one right now that I'm um, really si- excited about that we will hit the million mark on. But typically if, if you want a median, that's about 150. And then mm-hmm. on the on the lower bound, um, for people who are less familiar, the way that syndicated deals work is you spin up an SPV and we can talk about how-
0: And the special purpose will... vehicle for people wondering.
1: Yeah, a special purpose vehicle. And that's really, I think revolutionized angel investing uh, or at least all of the infrastructure that's gotten built out around that more specifically. But what that does is it lets you pool capital through a single entity in a compliant you know regulatory compliant way and then send that on to the company as a single line on the cap table so you know whenever you spin that up there's a fixed cost to doing so and so if if your check size is too low it starts to eat into the the fees uh, start to eat into the investment that your um, check writers are putting into the deal and so we cap our deals at 100k as a minimum, just to ensure that, um, you know, we're not having too much dilution up front. So really about 150 is the median, closer to 200 is the average, and we've done uh, 25 deals at this point. Um, so I, I guess, um, well, w- with this next one, we'll probably be closer to, to 6 million deployed, but um, mm-hmm. in general, we're trying to, to pace it about a deal a week so that can kind of give you a sense for yeah the, and then in terms of size so you asked about the size of the underlying checks we probably have um, uh, like even just in real time this w- current deal that we're doing where we're raising a million uh, our average check size is is just above 10k mm-hmm. Um but our median is right at five, you know, there's so many 5k check writers, which is really our minimum because administratively, it's tough to handle um, a larger number of checks yeah. for, you know, just a inf- potentially infinite right. number of people. But what what that does is it really lets a, a number of people get into these projects that otherwise wouldn't be able to, if they were trying to knock on the door of somebody raising a $16 million round at a, you know several hundred million dollar valuation and so um really in some ways we're creating access to smaller check writers to some of these really exciting deals that um you know exciting funds are investing in that normally you wouldn't have access to if you were um you know just trying to invest on your own so i think
0: yeah, totally. So, so I, I totally uh, see what you're saying about the value prop. You know, on the investor side, it's basically crowdfunding, for the angel, uh, for for angel investors, right? As a individual investor, you're probably harder to get get into those deals. But uh, as a, um, you know, aggregate check size, that's um, a little bit bigger for com- companies, it's less of hassle to handle. On the other side, for companies, this is kind of an early stage PR for them because they get a bunch of smaller investors, but maybe highly influential investors also in the space, right? So, um, so yeah, so I think both parties get something out of it for sure. Absolutely. So can you, can you talk to us about like how you think about this investment process when you um, – Obviously, well, I, I want to mention the other benefit for individual investor. I see as this kind of model is like, you guys are kind of doing the first, um, first pass, uh, evaluations, analysis for projects because you need to pick a bunch of projects, right? So, can you can you tell us in terms of how that works on your side? In terms of how you, where where do your deals come from, and how you think about like picking those deals?
1: yeah absolutely this is probably i should have done this at the beginning but this is probably the time where i cue the the statement that none of this is financial advice and yeah yeah,
0: well totally needless to say none of us none of us are giving financial advice here we're just chatting right so okay but yeah of of course information
1: of of, of course yeah and you know i think even at the wagmi level you know we we aren't managing capital ourselves, what we're trying to do is bring high fidelity deals to a collection of people who are interested in investing and participating. And to your point, we therefore have to do the initial screening of these opportunities. And I would say that for every deal that we do, we probably get pinged with uh, 20. Other ones, uh, you know, so maybe you could call it like a 5%, um, you know, investment. Funnel just in terms of, you know, looking at deals to actually doing them. I, I think maybe it's helpful to start with where the deals come from. So, um, one of the exciting things about having this network is that as you know, people start participating in deals, um, or just seeing that there are opportunities out there they get excited when somebody they know is raising for the project that they're building. And so they'll bring that to us. And so I get a ton of inbounds from people in the syndicate who say, you know, hey, I know so-and-so is raising. Have you guys looked at this opportunity? And so we get a ton of great deal flow that way. I mean, I, I love hearing from our members um, and for them, you know, it's, it's also an opportunity for them to jump on board because maybe they're not able to write the kind of check size that a, a prolific angel investor in Web three like Bology or you know some of these others who are cutting you know much larger checks would be writing, and so um, that's really the main source is f- through our own network, just of people within the syndicate. We also have kind of friends at all different kinds of exciting DApps or you know different Layer one ecosystems. I know a bunch of people at other uh, venture funds, and so. Typically speaking, or generally speaking, we tend to get, uh, I would say, pretty high quality deal flow up front, um, and then how we kind of categorize or filter is probably the next, uh, you know, part of this conversation. Which would be really when when you're looking at these things. I mean, um, it it it's in some ways analogous to when you're, uh, you know, writing a resume or mm-hmm. uh, you know thinking about uh, trying to put yourself in front of a job opportunity. Often employers are looking at so many resumes in the stack that they kind of inherently have to develop an algorithm to just screen. And we, we really wish that we could give every project, uh, you know, the same amount of time, but at the end of the day, what you're looking for are a few very specific things. And so I think in our case, the first one by far and away, is the team. So mm. just trying, trying to understand the strength of the team. Have they, uh, you know, built a business before, I, I mean, ideally something within web three that already kind of demonstrates their track record. Um, have they successfully exited something before do they have, uh, the right team around them? So if it's the founders, you know, have they attracted the right talent to help them build whatever they're developing and you know I think in so many instances you're gonna have a startup that wants to do one thing on day one and then realizes on you know day 180 that somebody else has actually done that and they need to slightly pivot and so I think
0: yeah that happened it probably happened to like I would say more than 60 percent or 70% of startups yeah.
1: yeah exactly and so in some ways at the earliest of stages you're really backing the team and the people who are who are building, and if, if you think that somebody's um, you know high enough caliber to be able to, to pivot reliably until you know they're going to be successful inevitably, then that's that's kind of the the first by far and away biggest screen that we would use. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the second one is with respect to the product or service or you know protocol. Is it something? that is exciting, that has, you know, an attractive go-to-market, um, you know, case for existence. So, you know, something that I think it was probably less vetted over the past couple of years was just, um, you know, the utility of, of some of these things. I think, especially during a bull market, it's easy to, to, to really just, you know, jump on board any kind of project that has an exciting set of names behind it, or uh, you know, a, a strong pedigree in terms of the the team that's building, but if there's some clear use case for whatever the product is, if it's something that you can actually understand, break down, be able to you know describe, if you're just excited because something has the word zero knowledge proof in it then you, you might need to actually slow down and, and understand what the business is actually doing right because otherwise you'll get swept up in certain narratives that are you know maybe pervasive in the industry in any given moment and um, it's easy to be driven by by FOMO if you're not actually comprehending what, what the underlying technology or company is doing and if it, you know, has a viable, clear use case. So I I think that's especially also useful for angel investing and and kind of a smaller retail audience is, you know, if if they can really understand, maybe even have used the kinds of um, products or services or protocols that we're bringing to market, then that can be really compelling as, you know, kind of a a just driver of growth for the the company. So
0: do you think it's useful to have a top-down thesis of some sort? For example, certain sectors that you expect to grow more, so you will kind of focus more in that segment of projects, that kind of thing?
1: It's a great question. I would argue that if you are a traditional venture fund, Mm -hmm. then that makes complete sense. I think what you see with a syndicate, especially as you reach an increasingly large size, is that it's kind of law of large numbers. You know, statistically speaking, you're you're going to have people who are interested in late stage deals, early stage deals, real world assets, uh, gaming protocols. Right. And so I think w- what we're trying to do is cultivate and keep this network engaged that is, uh, essentially getting their itch scratched on you know various different sub verticals within Web3 where we're trying to remain industry agnostic and just bring the best deals across the space. Do I personally have certain areas that I'm more interested in than than others? Yes, but in general, if we're trying to service this growing cohort of people who are coming from all different verticals within Web3, which is kind of our syndicated model, I actually think it's less important that, you know, you have some sort of thesis because everyone within the syndicate will have their own right. areas of interest.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, you, you're totally right. Right. So from a from the syndicate level, you just like bring up projects that, uh, you know, that fits that kind of criteria that you just mentioned. But um, it's it essentially still boils down to each individual's choice and their own. They have to do some own some of their own due diligence on their own, right, the members. But just like in term, like in terms of you personally, uh, is there any sector that you're particularly interested in right now?
1: Yeah, sure. I I, I won't pick favorites from within our, uh, you know our cohort of investments but i think
0: just don't tell me to do, like how about outside of your cohort investments <laughs> we're not like recommending investment projects here so yeah,
1: yeah absolutely um so i think that there's some really exciting stuff that's being done with real world assets right now um specifically it's, it's kind of interesting so um a, a lot of the past couple of years was fueled by cheap interest rates kind of a uh zero interest rate phenomenon is maybe something that you've heard um and so i think now that we're entering this phase where um you know there's a fed funds rate of you know something close to five percent you really have to justify utility for for your existence and i think there are some really exciting things being done in the real world asset space that allows for tokenization of assets that maybe wasn't possible i mean everyone loves to talk about tokenizing real estate I you know I'm not particularly uh super informed in that specific sub vertical but there are so many other real world assets that you can tokenize so you know for example one company um that disclaimer we are in uh Wagme Ventures has invested in N in labs is tokenizing receivables and so you know, there's this arbitrage opportunity, or maybe capital inefficiency is a better way to describe it, where you have gig workers throughout the economy who are 1099 workers essentially, who are maybe doing last mile delivery for uh, Coca-Cola, or you know, on the consumer side, it would be you know somebody doing uh, Uber or or DoorDash who are getting paid maybe bi-week bi-weekly or um some of the corporate cases monthly for the work that they're doing or maybe on a a po by po basis and you know in order for them to receive the cash for that they would have to wait for the receivable to come due and if they tried to borrow against it as an individual you're far less credit worthy than a large organization like coca-cola but if you can actually tokenize and through zero knowledge proofs show that this is a credit worthy borrower, but it's completely anonymized, which is what NLabs is doing. Then you can essentially show the creditworthiness of the receivable and let somebody access a much more capital efficient rate to borrow off of that receivable to get paid it immediately, as opposed to 30 days down the road or 60 days down. Right and so pool by tokenizing things and using some cryptography in order to make a a more efficient lending market. So things like that, that's just one example of something that really, I think is exciting that is is starting to get built out. Um, You've got a lot of other um, interesting things that are being done on the um, not broader. I mean, there is fascinating stuff being built in the broader zero knowledge space but frankly a lot of that starts to get into complex math and cryptography that's a bit uh, above my head and that will will bring in more technical um, you know advisors to to support us with diligencing but i think just some of the fundamental basic tech that's being built out to to leverage zero knowledge proofs in specific instances like what i mentioned or um, you know to give minimum viable information i think in web 2 one of the problems has just been all, all of the capturing of individual data that, um, in some instances, people haven't been aware of. But um, using that and packaging it to treat the user as, you know, the, the product in a sense with z- zero knowledge proofs, you know, you can selectively show, um, you know, through off chain verif- verifiable credentials. The specific things that are important to you in a given instance so um i, I think there's a lot that's going to be built out in that space and i'm hopeful that in the bear market there's a little bit more calm for people to just you know soberly select the th- things with very clear use cases like like what Labs is doing as opposed to um you know just rushing ahead with a narrative that um, maybe naturally excites people. Well, but doesn't... It's
0: like at, at the beginning of any new technology, like people will want to apply this, uh, you know, when you have a hammer, you see everything as a nail, right? So
1: exactly, you will,
0: you will want to apply this to everything and anything, and uh, eventually something useful will come out of it, but that's probably, you know, one in 10 or one in a hundred scenario, right? So, but anyway, so, um, but my next question is, uh, what's the, is there any, a difference that you see that is very unique to the Web3 angel investing or venture investing as opposed to just a general early stage startup investing?
1: Yeah, sure. So I would kind of break that into to two parts. The first would be just the sector or set of sectors itself. Um, I think the, the fact that we're investing in a space that doesn't have any regulatory clarity yet that um, is constantly being, uh, I guess, disrupted by itself, you you know, Mm -hmm. you've seen these different phases where the people who were early to Bitcoin weren't necessarily the people who were early to Ethereum in in all cases. And then people missed, um, you know, the rise of other layer ones. And I think a lot of the, the ongoing innovation, it just shows how early this space is. And so I think uh, that makes it in some ways, particularly challenging to keep up with crypto in its totality. But at the same time, it just shows how much opportunity there is for more building that's going to continue in this space. Um, so, so I think we're still in the first or second inning of an incredibly nascent field. And I think you have to keep that in mind with respect to, um, you know, investing in crypto specifically. And I think it's why a lot of us who try out, you know, like a non-custodial wallet for the first time and you send your money across uh, the internet and all of a sudden, you know, you, you feel that sense of self-sovereignty, For at least for many people, I think that it's kind of a one-way direction. You know, a lot of people experience that and then it's hard to go back. And I think it, it leads to a conviction that this is an incredibly exciting space that we are still early in. So generally speaking, you know, that's that's my sense with respect to crypto as as an industry right now, is that there's so much yep. stuff getting built.
0: But how is that different from any other like early stage sectors that, you know, people generally invest in like other venture capital segments? so but yeah
1: so 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 here let me let me give you one specific example i think just mm-hmm. the fact that we're not able to pin down what's a security within crypto and what isn't i mean i mean they're all you know tech by its definition to your point is is kind of the, the tip of the spear right but then mm-hmm. with respect to governance ownership and a lot of these fundamental things that f- for so long were taken for granted in you know very simplified structures have now been kind of um you know pushed aside as old or dated i mean the fact that the Howey test is based off of an orange grove uh case from the 1930s is just emblematic of the fact that we're dealing with something radically different here in the way that we define ownership uh the, the way that we define governance and so i i think the fact that crypto kind of it's it's like a Liberal arts uh, person's playground, and that it touches so many different domains. And it's, it's a way that society kind of that has the potential to be restructured. I, I think it makes it a little bit more expansive than certain other fields and kind of goes back to the point that it's harder to keep track as a result of everything that's happening
0: within crypto. Okay, but how about operationally? So um, I say, you know, like a angel investor or a venture investor, obviously if you invest in other sectors, so you only have one, like only have so many options for in terms right. of asset, right. right? So, well, so what the kind through of line, that you're yeah.
1: Yes, yeah, exactly. So the through line here is that um, within Web3, there are actually a number of different uh avenues to exit and you know some of them are are new and not available in traditional industry so uh one thing that if you've done angel investing in crypto you might be familiar with um the listener not you because i know you, you invest in a bunch of companies but uh, if you invest in equity you might also be given token warrants and so mm-hmm. what happens is you know a traditional company when it exits You know, it's either an IPO or a sale in a number of these crypto instances, what these companies are building is a protocol that's going to get launched that ends up issuing tokens. And if you're part of the early investor cohort, you may actually get tokens in addition to the equity. And depending on the company, the equity could be worth something, or it could really just evolve into the the token for the protocol being worth something. But the fact that you have these um, kind of two paths to a liquidity event with the traditional equity of the company you're investing in being one, but then also if they issue any kind of token and you're given a right to that as a uh, investor, then that's an entirely new domain or avenue for people to get paid. Sure. So,
0: on. so I, I think actually for like uh, for for VCs, you know, I know like some traditional VCs are trying to get crypto because one of the things is, yeah, obviously it's a growing sector and blah blah blah. But one of the things that people also see is like you have this additional like potentially much faster exit, which people complain about. I know, but if you're mm-hmm. a retailer investor, but. Yeah, if you're a venture capital or if you're like an uh, angel investor, this is something that you got to think about, right? So because investing in crypto, you have much earlier exit compared to traditional VCs. I I don't know, like, uh, are you familiar? Like, what's what's the uh, what's the traditional like exit timeline for like average? Like I don't know, in software. Oh, or I mean,
1: uh, yeah, I mean that could be in the the five to ten year time frame. There's yeah, a really exactly. high variance. with... So, so it's interesting at the beginning, you mentioned the markets down. I mean, if you, if you want to place bets within crypto, but not have the ability to undo those bets, whenever, y- you know, you're feeling doubts in the space. I mean, angel investing is very illiquid <laughs> investment. You know, you have high conviction, you put something in and then you're stuck with it for yeah. however long.
0: Well, well, it, it cuts both ways. Right. So you have uh, on on one hand, this kind of uh, traditionally, this kind of early stage investing, because it's illiquid, you really have to like measure twice, cut once, right? You really have to really, exactly. really think through because your exit timeline is long. With crypto, now you can, it's like uh, the on one hand, the, the room for error is uh, is bigger because... If you don't like the pro, if it doesn't turn out as well as you expected, you can sell with liquid token in many cases. But you could also that the more decision you make, the more errors you can you can make. There's also that yeah. aspect as well. Very so, true.
1: Interestingly, I, I will just say that with a number of these projects, too, in order to avoid that uh, happening with the cap table and people kind of exiting in mass, oftentimes what you see is a A lockup or a vesting schedule for tokens. So, if there's a token generation event and you're an early investor, you might get some of them up front. There might be what's called a one-year cliff is sometimes common. So, you know, you have to wait, and then a year later, that's when it starts to vest, and you get you know up front that uptick. That's the cliff part, and then sometimes you'll see like linear vesting, for example, over a several-year period. So, you can dump (laughs) it, but it's in
0: you, yeah you, you you can dump it in small segments uh but like what's the what's the average um average like uh uh, uh vesting period that you you've seen like common so far is it like two years three years
1: yeah one w- year are cliffed with uh three-year linear vesting that that's okay. the most common that i've seen i mean uh i would say that's that's fairly common and that just kind of aligns incentives, because the thing about a token, and if you're coming at this from a builder's perspective is once you let it's the same with equity, but once you let that. Cat out of the bag, then you know there's no going back so you don't want you don't want your token to to tank and I think a lot of people are now kind of intelligently designing these so that they unlock over periods of time.
0: So, so in terms of like uh, um, token allocations, like what percentage of the projects that you invested in so far? I know it's sample size is probably pretty small still, but like uh, what percentage of them have like some kind of token warrant attached or the deal is uh, directly in token format?
1: Yeah, Tasha, we'll hopefully have a statistically significant sample size. I'm sorry, right yes, this I'm so, I mean, I'm just no, no, like, oh, I, I, Yeah, numbers. no, no, I I love it. Um, so it's funny because um it's it might actually be deceptive to describe it that way because i have conversations with founders every day where they're looking at deals uh or or they're going to market with their companies and we're looking at their deal and they're like a SaaS business but because their investors want protection they're also adding a token warrant in Mm -hmm. case they issue a token in the future they're Mm -hmm. like we don't think there's gonna be a token here, but uh, we get it, we get that the VC wants to be protected. So we're including a warrant (laughs) if we ever do it. So I would say uh, probably around 50% of the companies, maybe more than that, have a token. um, And then, you know, call it 10 to 20% are uh, pure token deals. So we've done some of those, and then the remainder are, are, pure equity and that's a number of cases but the vast majority do have some sort of token warrants now whether those actually ever come to market as real tokens is an entirely different question so
0: yeah and also I think for people who are investing in this like these web3 um you know deals it's interesting to think about you know what 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 do the what value is backing the token and value what value is backing the equity right so so the way I think about it like for equity is pretty Straightforward because that's long-standing uh, financial instrument. You you basically have a claim on the bottom line of the company as shareholder. So, but the vast majority of the Web three projects really have no idea of what their token is used for. Um, so, but everybody is like nowadays have to issue a token of some sort because people are asking for that token. But the thing is, if you think I think the best case scenario, well, not the best case scenario, but like a one. One kind of uh, uh, one kind of like scenario that makes sense to me is, uh, is like uh, it, it's it's backed by um, by the value of part of the company's uh, goods and services. What I mean is, uh, for example, if you look at um, uh, airlines, airlines have um, airline miles that they give or they sell to their customers as like loyalty point or as a cash flow generating method for airlines but airlines also have shareholders right so uh if you look at the numbers the value of airline miles is actually way above the value of the airline industry's equity and the reason is because the equity is again the bottom line and the profit level of airline industry is whatever it is right so and you know it's not very high. So but but right. the but the but the token not token but miles but basically the web3 web2 form of tokens is backed by the goods and services that the airline industry has to deliver. So that market cap of that of those miles is essentially backed by the market cap of the sales of the industry, not the profit of the industry. So right. That's one way I think about like, but what well, that's the conditional on. Uh, that's the use case for the token. But for most of the projects, who knows?
1: <laughs> yeah, I know that's a really interesting example too. And um, it's funny because the the airlines have their own um, money printer that they can turn on and exactly. defla- you know inflate the miles value whenever they want. And in some, you know, in, in that example, it's interesting because the the miles are kind of trapped within your own account and the only way to monetize them is to essentially burn them back to uh to the airline in order to get credit for them but um yeah i mean i think it would be really interesting if if things like that were tokenized and um you know made more fungible across an exchange or something like that
0: so, so when you when you do these like project valuations, do you consider? Um, I know you talked about your top criteria, the, the team, the product quality, and so on. Do you consider the valuation level and also the investment terms?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we kind of segued in the in the middle, but the next piece is the valuation, and I think uh, we're seeing a lot more exciting. Yeah, from an investor standpoint, a lot more exciting valuations in 23 than we were in 2022, but that's a huge part of it because, you know, that stands to benchmark what price you're getting in at and as a result, you know, what kind of upside you can hope to gain from these these opportunities. So, um, I would imagine your follow-up question is probably, (laughs) how do you think about the appropriate levels for the various stages of of deals see my
0: mind <laughs>
1: <laughs> right so so i think um just to give you some some stats for us i would say for our smaller deals like cedar seed stage deals we're starting to see uh, a number of deals in kind of the 20 to to 30 um, million post money Mm. valuation. I think some of the pre-seed that's a little bit closer to to concept or just, um, you know, trying to validate proof of concept, don't have, you know, working prototype, but have maybe like a strong team that has a strong kind of case for what they're doing, Mm -hmm. raising closer to that six to 10 million post money range. And then, you know, once you've developed traction and have proved that out, then you know, we've seen a lot that are raising kind of a Series A level valuation kind of around 100. Um, it, and then, you know, by all means, you can certainly raise and justify a higher valuation. We've had a ton of excitement on something that has gone at, you know, several hundred million because of the total addressable market. So, you know, you um, think about things in terms of, you know, comps. A lot of times with valuations, you try to look at comparables and, you know, venture investors are are benchmarking, okay, I've seen a bunch of deals raise at XYZ value. But when you're thinking about the upside for some of these larger L1 launches, for example, or maybe an L2, well, Mm. one of the great ways to kind of think about what your opportunity is for return there would be to go and look at what some of the other l1s or l2s are trading at that you think are appropriate comp and then of course that gets probability weighted and it looks not as exciting if you're doing the probability weighting correctly but um, just in terms of the upside you know some of these layer ones can justify these multi-hundred million uh, valuations because of the total addressable market that they could stand to, to capture at the end of the day
0: yeah, so, so so I I think I I totally agree with what you're saying. You need to think about like how much is the upside that is left and that is a sort of a comp calculation and also the probability calculation, right? Because if you are well, we can talk about more of it, like how you allocate a portfolio and you, you think about the math, um, what's the correct expectation, but really, you know, if a company is raising at like $100 million, um, you like, uh, and, and if you're in crypto, you're like used to hearing the kind of 10x 100x 10x, like people nowadays thinking that is still like a small cake. But like, <laughs> but you like, you think about like a 400 million company to increase to 1 billion, that's a big deal. And how many 1 billion above company uh, are out there in the world and even in crypto right so mm-hmm. if you think about actually uh let me check um we, we can go look on on, on like coin gecko yeah um, i was
1: just thinking that it starts to get you, pretty thin it starts to get exciting.
0: pretty thin i mean that that market cap ranking is dropping uh down to like uh 1 billion is like ranked at about number 50 okay in terms of market cap in this environment. So you are talking about if a 100X company wants to go up 10X, it needs to enter the top 50 in, in terms of market, market.
1: cap, yes.
0: in crypto, right? So, and <laughs> we know like are there are yes. how many tokens out there? About 1,000 at least with some sort of liquidity. Oh, the total token universe is about 10,000, right? But 1,000, I'm talking about those that have tradable liquidity.
1: Right, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, putting this is important there
0: so i think that, that that puts things in perspective a little bit right but uh we yeah. can talk about that in 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 a minute um
1: yeah I don't know if you recall the stat but i think the the market surpassed three trillion uh at the height of
0: in at the end of twenty twenty one yes
1: exactly and so you know trillion it's just kind of a funny word but that's a thousand thousand or a thousand billion so you know at some point if the uh liquidity in the the macro environment starts to come back around and you start to see some of the innovation that's taken place between 21 and 2023 start to get priced into a uh, cheaper capital environment assuming we do come back from that then i think there's a lot Room for various projects to to run, but right now, yes, the the gravity of five percent interest rate is is weighing down on people or, or projects more heavily than uh, than it was in twenty twenty one yeah. and, and earlier.
0: I mean, for for people interested, you can go back to check like uh, what's the valuation, what's the cutoff for like top one hundred tokens valuation at the at the heat of the uh, bull market. Obviously higher than what it is right now because, like, uh, um, right now the total market cap of is like about one trillion, and back then we are, you know, three times higher, right? So, but uh, I think this is something that people need to consider: is like, uh, what is the probability of that? um, In terms of how much, what's the upside that you can gain on each of these uh, transactions, and also what's the probability that you will gain anything at all, right? So that's, that's yeah.
1: the other. Yeah, so two thoughts there. I mean, first, the TradFi uh, person of me would say that, you know, Cambridge uh, Associates and a bunch of these other um, fund-to-fund advisors have a bunch of great stats out there in terms of what venture capital as an asset class has done historically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, depending on what vintage year you pick and when you're starting, Um, it can, it can vary, but typically above 20% kind of closer to 30% is what venture capital is targeting on an annual basis, which, uh, might sound boring in crypto world. But, uh, you know, there's the, I don't know if you're familiar with this Tasha, but the kind of law of 70 with compounding, where if you just multiply the number of years by the, um the rate of of increase uh, and it hits 70, that's how frequently uh, something would double. So with a 14% um, increase, you know, it takes about five years for something to double. And so if if you're thinking about that from, you know, your own personal investment standpoint, then 30%, you know, that's kind of call it two and a half years, uh, a little bit less in order to double your money if you can consistently do that every you know period. Every couple of years. You can't yeah, crush I
0: mean, the bottom of every bear market and sell the top. That's that's humans
1: really struggle to uh, to think to to um, comprehend compounding and the, the power. I think um, Einstein said something about compounding being like the most under underestimated force in the universe. And I think that's, you know, very true just in terms of, you know, the fact that if if you do that four times in a row, so, you know, you do that for basically 10 years, then all of a sudden you've 16 X what you've invested to start. Right. And so, and then if you, you know, you extrapolate that further.
0: So, yeah, I, I think that's something that we should talk about because that's also related to the investment process, which is uh, element of, of the process, which is you need to have some level of consistency, right? So
1: Yes, yeah. So that's part two, which is, um, you, you know, we're talking about venture capital as an asset class as a whole. And I think people, um, you know, need to understand, too, that the phenomenon within venture capital portfolios and there's, you um, actually a book called The Power Rule, it's been written on this, it's analyzed venture capital and performance over time. Basically, you know, one or two deals return 80% of the value of an investment portfolio. And then the vast majority, unfortunately, are going to zero. And then you have, you know, some kind of mixture within that of, of other companies that are kind of base hits or, you know, not that exciting returns. But, you make each of those small bets in order to get the one that goes, you know, astronomical in terms of outperformance. And so, you know, again, like if, if I'm saying anything here, it's it's that, you know, we tend to think about this at, at more of a macro level. And I think it's very easy to have FOMO when you're, you know, thinking about various opportunities, but really trying to consistently put money into a diversified set of opportunities and and not you know bet the moon or bet the farm on one specific opportunity is the way that you reduce your variance over time and and hopefully assuming that you're you know tagging along to a deal that's been well screened by you know solid VCs which is also something that's a helpful indicator to us will increase the you know, likelihood of you kind of tracking towards those venture capital level returns that are usually only available to, you know, the extremely wealthiest people within, um, or you know, the largest funds who are participating in a, a GP that's in venture capital. So, I would say just don't uh, don't FOMO everything into one project. It's really about trying to um, consistently make. These small bets that kind of total up to a blended return that kind of reflects venture capital performance.
0: So, just to give people a sense of, uh, like, uh, put some numbers to to the discussion, which I, you know, I, I agree for for the most part of everything you said is like, you know, you 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 make you make a, a bunch of bets and uh, uh, hopefully the the law of large numbers will will kind of uh, start to kick in to 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 work in your favor. But let's say to say. Uh, you, let, let's say your your investing total uh, equity size is 50K and you invest in 10 deals and each you put in like a 5,000 number, which I think you said it's the minimum for you guys, right? So, um, so you know, like early stage, let's say early stage investing, the win rate like is incredibly low. You We're talking about like 10% to 20%. Let's just say you have like twenty percent win rate, meaning like you actually make some money out of like uh two of the ten investments that you put money in, and each of the um on average each of the deals that actually you gain that that has a positive return, it returns like ten x that will be a rate of return of twenty percent so basically you put you put twenty you put fifty k in and uh, you return. 60k however that if you hit like a one unicorn <laughs> which is like uh which is like you said it's it's the 80 20 actually not even 80 20 it's 9 10 probably right. for some yep. of these like large venture capital firms it's not like they are really doing doing well on average it's because one or two of these things that really goes to goes parabolic so let's say even if you have like a 10 percent of win rate, but one of those deals returns like a 100 percent—not 100 100%, percent, but a hundred x. So basically, 10,000 percent. That will give you a rate of return of 800 percent. So, so if you have if you invest in 10 deals, nine of them nine of them fail, and you you get zero money back, but one of them. You know, hit it at 100x. So basically, this will be like a hundred million valuation goes to ten billion. It will give you a hundred percent return from that
1: one. Right. But that's like yeah. Yeah. And what I'm hearing from from you is that uh, most of those went to zero. And so if somebody had bet all of their money on one of those individually then they're not likely to be successful but if they had put you know a portion of their money into each of these then it yeah. ultimately leads to a great outcome
0: yeah so 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 if you had you have you have, so that I, that's why I said I agree with what you're saying because yeah, there right. is a exactly. law of probability here if you just invest in one of those things and you put your entire 50k in it or 100k in it it's like well what's the probability of that working out? um, But once you have a portfolio, um, you know, you can can calculate it based on, okay, what's the historical, you know, win rate of this type of investment and what will be your expected return, that kind of thing. But that only works if you invest in sufficient number of of deals.
1: That's right. And, you know, then you kind of get into the question of, okay, well, how much am I really willing to put into angel investing. And I would kind of go back to that comment earlier that uh, once you put it in, it, it's there for a bit. And so you don't really know how long it's going to be illiquid. And so that that really means that it truly depends on your specific financial situation, <laughs> whether you really want to put a bunch of money into the market or not. And you know, for some people that's They have an extremely high conviction because of certain things that they've done or experienced within Web3 that makes them say, you know, I want to put 80% of my net worth in. Whereas, uh, you know, I think Fred Wilson said something like uh, 5% should go into, as a max, should go into a a space like crypto. And so you can get some really wide (laughs) pieces of advice in that kind of domain. And really at the end of the day, you, you kind of know your own um risk tolerance and you know liquidity needs and, and judge those accordingly
0: yeah and it, it, like, yeah seriously because not everybody is uh uh it, it, you know the same profile in terms of your um you know how much capital you have and uh, how old you are and uh what what what's your plan for for your life right so yeah um a younger person, if you're like 19, 20 years old, you, you know, if you lose it all, you probably have another 10 years to make it back.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So
0: you can higher?
1: <laughs> exactly. Well, and it's funny because people, depending on their disposition or risk tolerance, can also um, comprehend rationally that you know their expected returns are X, Y, Z, and that it might be a good decision to do one thing, but you know, like my wife and I just got a car and based off of the interest rates and the inflation and, you know, my conviction that we're in a kind of longer term, higher inflation environment for the next decade, I thought this is great. This is, you know, arbitrage, so, you know, very limited amount down and locked in a giant amount of, of debt at a very cheap interest rate. And the the only problem was My self knowledge, you know, the next week was I really don't like having a bunch of debt. (laughs) And so, even though it's capital efficient to to take that on, you know, for someone like me, I said, Okay, well, I just want to pay this down. I don't like having this debt. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, depending on your own risk tolerance, even if you understand that the returns are, are one thing, you know, everybody has their own idiosyncrasies and wants to t- take certain exposure or, or not. And so that certainly plays a role here in angel investing, too.
0: Yeah, totally. So um, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know, like for you personally, what what will be, uh, uh, be your thinking in terms of uh, your per- personal portfolio? How much do you put in this type of uh, early early stage investing in terms of percentage allocation?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So I would say for um, keep like, in mind, while, you
0: like uh, Paul just had a baby. He's in like uh, I know. Are you in I mean, early twenties? I, I don't know how old you, you are. But...
1: You're you about to yeah, early thirties. You're about to uh, beat me to my disclaimer, which is that Paul just uh, you know finished paying off business school. So um, I would say by the end of thirties, what I want to have done is is put. Um, Gosh, I mean, again, um, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, well, what's my son's situation life gonna be at? The the intuitive part of me says, I know that I'm not as good as many at hodling when the market gets volatile, but yet I have a very strong conviction for what's getting built out throughout crypto. And I think there are a lot of incredibly smart minds building in this space. So personally, I would love to have 80% of my net worth tied up in things that i can't touch can't screw up and just can leave to strong high quality builders
0: Um, now i see why you kept mentioning at the beginning oh this is a way for you for you to tie things up if you can Uh, yeah yeah yeah, totally philosophy is
1: autobiography at the end of the day
0: for people who are not who 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 want to huddle but who cannot huddle who know like you (laughs) If you like uh, oh thanks tomorrow drop 20% you got super nervous so you can't do it like I cannot that's why I you know mostly nowadays I do like more short term uh you know trading uh in 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 the in the liquid token space but you know if, if yeah, that yeah. if you want huddling, this is like forced huddling. <laughs> yeah
1: yeah ex- exactly um and I say 8% that's not all angel investments I have like strong conviction and like the Ethereum ecosystem, for example, and I think there's kind of a evolving mix of how much, you know, you want exposure to, um, like, fungible tokens or, you know, to certain ecosystems that have already been built out that are, um, like, you know, if, you if it, like many people that I interact with on a daily basis, if you're based in the U.S. and you realize your, your home you own is, is denominated in dollars and your, you um, and it's located in the us and your job is based in the us and all of your currency and cash reserve is is denominated in usd then you know you're kind of not diversified beyond your own nation (laughs) risk and so you know maybe there's some validity to owning some bitcoin or ethereum or some of these other um, layer ones that are doing interesting things as well so um, that's kind of a broader discussion that gets me out of my yeah, scope of angel investing, but just kind of how I think about the market. I'd be remiss to say that you know I'm I'm not also uh, allocating a bunch to to those areas. It's kind of eighty percent to crypto, the rest in you know cash or something else, right?
0: yeah so I also I think it's also um a decision based on what your what your competitive advantage is because
1: that's a great point. Yep.
0: each of these uh, investment style, it's say investment style, right? It's like this type of angel venture investing is like extremely low win rate, but if you hit something right, it can return can be really high for that just that single thing. But it's like uh, it can be extremely volatile and holding periods long, and you need like to make good judgment uh, assessment on projects. Mm-hmm. So, that's a particular it, one particular kind of skill set that is very different from the skill set that you see like every day on YouTube. People talking about okay, the support resistance levels and uh, this line, <laughs> that line, right? The, the triangles, the, the flags. That, that's the, like a very different skill set. So so but to to do anything well you have to specialize right so um but the what you specialize in also depends on your personality and what where your strength is so to me like personally i know that my interest and my background is more in you know in the in the liquid market so but i you know long term optimistic in the space. And, you know, I'm obviously very involved and interested in the space. So for me, it's really sort of ki- kind of a uh, public good investment, uh, plus some diversification. But it's not a huge focus of mine. So personally, I, I allocate like uh, 5%. Um to this, you know, angel investing. Um, but that's just like, I just wanted to like give, because that's an example of, uh, of course my situation is different from everybody else, but that's just like an example of, you have to look at what's your background and interest and uh, what where, where your expertise really lies.
1: Absolutely. Yep. And, you know, one thing I would just point out in the bear market is that, you know, as you're engaging in either angel investing or you know one of the most fun parts about this whole experience with Wagmi for me has been that um it's you know there's there's more to wealth than what's quantified in the um you know liquid or illiquid assets that you're holding i mean just getting to meet so many interesting forward-looking people who are i think particularly in crypto trying to rebuild You know, a new version of the Internet in a way that's exciting and more equitable or more, um, you know, autonomous for people, more self sovereign. I think just puts you in communication with a bunch of other. Very genuinely interesting people. And so getting to build those relationships and build that network for you, if you're kind of actively looking at angel investing, um, that's kind of hard to measure the value of either. And and that compounds. Uh, It's kind of a Metcalfe's law of its own as that network starts to grow over time, too. And so um, there's just a lot of value to to getting yourself out there and even just looking at these opportunities, whether or not you're putting capital
0: into them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, and also, I want to ask you, like, uh, in terms of this year, what's your plan or goal or things that you want to achieve for 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 the syndicate?
1: Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, so we're, we're constantly trying to, to catch our breath to, um, you know, figure out new ways that we can engage with our current portfolio companies. Cause it's just so much fun trying to make those connections for the, the companies that we do have in our network. I think there's of course, always the, the goal in terms of how much capital you'll have deployed and you know, how many deals you'll do. I think sustainably, our goal would probably be to hit 50, portfolio companies by the end of this year. So that's kind of reliably tracking towards another uh, deal every two weeks, a little bit under that. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think in terms of capital deployed, you know, under promise and over deliver, uh, it'd be nice to hit 10 million. Uh, we'll probably blow past that in Q2, but um, just at the rate that we're going. But yeah, I think the goal for us is to continue to build, uh, a network of really interesting people and i think you know again coming from a TradFi background i don't want to um do anything that's kind of on the the edge from a like regulatory or compliance standpoint we're going to wait until hopefully congress issues some clarity as to what you know security in crypto actually looks like and um you know hopefully there's some more rules around governance that kind of clearly get laid out before we would do anything in in a more decentralized way. You know, I mentioned earlier once you mm-hmm. issue a token, the cat's out of the the bag at that point. Um, so for for us, I think it's just continuing to stick to the bread and butter of finding exciting deals that we can bring to our network, continuing to grow that network, and then living up to our promise of just trying to create value for the companies that we're you know, bringing these networks to, as opposed to just money that we're leaving at the doorstep. So, yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a really fascinating discussion.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Tasha. Great to come on.
0: Yeah, so uh, for people to find you on the internet, uh, like what's your, do you have like a Twitter or something that you wanna leave with people?
1: Yeah, sure, I would say, you know, you can find Wagme Ventures, at WAGME underscore VC on Twitter, or our website, if you wanna sign up and uh, get access to the deal flow, we're wagmeventures.io, And then I'm DJ underscore Pauly, that's P-A-U-L-I-E underscore P on Twitter. Um, I have a pretty boring Twitter account, but you can follow our our WAGME Ventures publications uh, via Twitter.
0: That's great, um, and if you for for those of you who want to check out the um, the syndicate, I'll also post a link in the episode description so you can check it out. Um, there, there is a because I'm a, I'm a partner of Wagmi Venture as well, but uh, I I have a application process uh, for people who want to join the syndicate because uh, there we, we we want to attract people who can actually contribute something to the space uh, not just money, but also your, your, your expertise and other things that you can bring because that, that is, uh, again, as we talk about multiple times, that's the collective value added of the syndicate, right?
1: Yep. We okay. appreciate it, Tasha. Thank you.
0: <laughs> Thanks a lot.